You're listening to the Tri-State Community Church Podcast, a ministry of the Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church located in the greater Pittsburgh metropolitan area. For more information, including service times, please visit us at facebook.com forward slash Tri-State Reformed Church. Genesis 4 verse 25, And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. To Seth also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. At that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. Heavenly Father, we look to you this morning and we pray, Father, that you would bless us and that you would teach us, Father, uh, from your word and with this prayer father we 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 very deeply desire to confess that father without uh, without you without your work the holy spirit working in our hearts and lives we we would not come to a true understanding of this passage so father we pray that you would be pleased father to open your word up uh, before us and before our hearts and open our hearts up O lord before your word in Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. I'll make sure I have the tape running. Um, this week we come to the conclusion of chapter 4, and all week long, I, I will confess that I've really wrestled with the, with the pericope, I've, meaning I've wrestled with what verses, what unit of verses to take this morning, whether to take verses 25 and 26 by themselves or to take verse 25 through the end of chapter 5, which um, sounds like a long reading, but uh, they're very much connected to one another. Either way would have been fine. Uh, I, I raise all of this because I think it would be fruitful at this point to do a little bit of housekeeping on these verses. Uh, we all learn differently. And I mean, some of us are readers. Some of us can read things and kind of get things right away. Uh, that's probably not most of us. Uh, some of us are kind of hands-on learners. Uh, if you, you know, for a hands-on person, if you show them how to do it a couple times, they got it, you know. Uh, you hand them a book, well, that's not so effective. Uh, other folks are very visual. Uh, you gravitate, if you're visual, you gravitate towards the pictures, towards diagrams and uh, uh, schematics, things of that nature. And uh, you might be listening to this and thinking, well, you know, I don't know that I really fit strictly in any one of these bins. Well, it's because none of us do. These are just categories that we, that we list. I mean, we're very complicated. We're, none of us would, would fall into nice and neatly into one of those categories. Uh, some of us, we're, we're all a mixture of these things. Sometimes we read things and we get it, don't we? Uh, other times we read things and we don't get it. Uh, but if you can show us a picture, we get it. Uh, or if you could show us, uh, we get it. And unfortunately, uh, those of us who are really pictorial, sometimes we think that we're just out of luck when we start studying our Bibles. Because unless you have a picture Bible or a study Bible, there's not a lot of pictures, is there? You ever notice that? <laughs> Sometimes we make jokes, you know, there's not a lot of pictures. And unfortunately, in academia for a, a, a long time, 
there was kind of this condemnation. If you if you're not book smart, then you're not smart at all. That is not true. There's that is not true. If you're not book smart, that means you're not book smart. That doesn't mean you're not smart. Uh, there are people who are highly intelligent. It just doesn't they, the, the way their minds work, the way they are. They just don't get a lot out of reading books. That's just the way it is. So it isn't that any one category is superior uh, to the other categories. It's just that we're all different. If you're very pictorial, you might think yourself out of luck when it comes to reading scripture. I want to change that this morning because there are actually a lot of things that are woven into scripture that um, are amazing and they help us. If you're visual, if you are uh, pictorial, if you will, or if you know, if you like schematics, you like diagrams and things, there are things that are in the actual that are woven into the literary structure of Scripture that um, is an enormous help. And I want to show you one of these structure markers, if you will, this morning. How many have heard of the word inclusio? Has anyone ever heard that word? Because I don't think I've mentioned it. I don't think I have. Maybe I did, maybe I didn't. Uh, Inclusio. Um, For those of you who learn well from books, I could define an inclusio as a set of brackets. and you might grab a hold of that. Um, you could think of a set of brackets. You know, you, you go along. Usually, if you if you're reading along and you see brackets, it usually means that somebody inserted something into the into the uh, uh, into the literature that wasn't originally there. But if you think about brackets, um, for me, it's been more helpful to think about an inclusio as bookends on a shelf. You've got a shelf of books. And you know those little ends that you slide on either end to hold the books up? If you think of book ends, that's been the most helpful way for me to come to grasp with an inclusio. Now, for those of you who learn by doing, instead of just giving you an abstract definition of what an inclusio is, um, let me show you what it is. And if you look at verse 1 in chapter 4, notice, notice that it says, Now Adam knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. Okay, keep that verse in mind. Now turn to verse 25. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring Instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. Now you notice the striking similarities between these verses. There's a lot of similarities. I mean, what do we have here? Well, the section begins with the conception and birth of a son, right? Verse 1. Verse 25, the conception and birth of a son. Do you see that being repeated? Uh, secondly, Verse 1, and if you recall when we were studying verse 1, I pointed out to you that there's a profession of faith in verse 1. What does Eve say? I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. So we have a profession of faith in verse 1. Now, if we turn to verse 25, we have a second profession of faith. God has appointed for me another offspring. Instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. Okay, what does this show us? Well, That's the subject of this morning's message. What we have here is an inclusio, a set of bookends that is being put on either side of everything that comes in between. Can you see that? 
Think of it as brackets, if you will, or bookends. Um, what do we do with this? Well, this morning I want to I do this inductively rather than just telling you what, uh, what the, the end result is here. What I'd rather do is like discover this together. One is so that by God's grace, we may get to the very heart of what the Holy Spirit is, uh, is uh, designing to show us in these verses. But two, I want, I, I want you to kind of come along with me to see how, how do we do this? How, how does this work? Um, how, how do we arrive at these conclusions? Um, I'm hoping that as you see this, it will help you with your own personal Bible study. Now, as you can see, okay, Clusio, brackets, bookends. When I see these things, all right, um, I can see what to do with these things. Our section begins, as I've said, with the conception of, of Cain. If you go back to verse 1, now Adam knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain. So here we have uh, this conception of Cain. And you'll recall, uh, throughout this series, on several occasions, I pointed out that this points back to Genesis 3.15, doesn't it? If you go back to Genesis 3.15, uh, you can see there that uh, the Lord has promised, uh, the Lord is speaking to Satan in Genesis 3.15, and he says to Satan, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. And as I have said, um, that's the first gospel utterance if you will, in Scripture. It's the first time the Gospel is shared. And there's something that we always want to keep in the back of our minds when we're studying Scripture, and that is the overarching theme of the whole Bible is just that, the Gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. That is the meta-narrative, that is the big narrative, if you will, of the entire Word of God. So as we're studying the Bible, it's helpful for us to always keep that in mind, that this is the big picture, if you will, um, the good news that uh, the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, as we study Scripture, we'll see that this announcement is made in Genesis three fifteen, and it's fleshed out in the rest of Scripture, isn't it? We get more and more and more information concerning Genesis three fifteen as we study the Bible, don't we? And really, Genesis three fifteen is enough. It's enough for a person. To come into a saving relationship with God. If all we had was Genesis 3.15. We would have enough. To, uh, uh, to come into a saving relationship with, with our Lord. Uh, we're very blessed that we have a lot more than Genesis uh, 3.15. So we see the Lord is speaking to Satan there in Genesis 3.15. He says I will put enmity between you and the woman. That is between Satan and the woman. In between your offspring and her offspring, he, that is the woman's offspring, shall bruise the head of Satan, and Satan shall bruise his heel. Now, here we have two parties. At least we start with two parties. There's more than two parties here. But we start with two parties. Satan is behind the you, and we have the woman. The woman is promised a son. This son is going to be victorious over Satan. We've been over that material quite a few times. Uh, okay, as I've said multiple times in this series, if you were Adam and Eve and you just uh, conceived and have been blessed with your first son on the heels of this promise, what would you be thinking as Cain come into the world? 
You'd be thinking, well, here's God making good on the promise, isn't it? What would you be thinking? What would you be hoping? Uh, How would you look at this? Well, uh, undoubtedly, they were hoping that uh, Cain would be the promised Messiah. Now, with all of this in mind, notice the section ends with the conception of Seth. If you go back to verse 25. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth. Okay, it's, I want you to see here that there's linkage between verse 25 and Genesis 3.15 as well. That verse 25 actually is, is going back to Genesis 3.15 as well. In other words, the very structure that we have here, this inclusio, these bookends, okay, they're both from the start, pointing back to Genesis 3.15, from the end, pointing back to Genesis 3.15. Now, some of you will be saying, well, can you confirm this? Because I don't quite see it. And I'm looking around at some faces, and maybe you don't quite see that yet. Uh, Can you confirm this? Uh, Yes. Okay, how? Glad you asked. (laughs) Let's go back to the structure. Genesis 4.1 and 4.25. Brackets or bookends. They share common material, conception, birth of a son, profession of faith. In verse 1, there's little doubt that Adam and Eve look to Cain as the promised son. But we have been studying what comes afterwards, haven't we? How has that expectation worked out? It's been dashed upon the rock, hasn't it? Not a chance, not a chance. In verse 25, we have another profession of faith. God has appointed for me another what? Offspring. Offspring instead of Abel. Now, could they have been looking to Seth as the promised one? I think they they were. I think they are. In fact, I think that every time a male child is born, uh, there's going to be a... This could be the prospective candidate. Um, But notice the language. God has appointed for me... Uh, another offspring. Verse 26 adds further testimony to this. It says to Seth, also a son was born and he called uh, his name uh, Enish. And at that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. Um, How does things work out for Seth here? Well, Seth has a son and we're told at that time, people began to call on the name of the Lord. Um, This is looking much better than the first, isn't it? Do you see that? It's looking much better than the first. Okay, let's continue to wrestle with the structure here. Adam and Eve undoubtedly had many sons. But we only have three mentioned here, don't we? We have Cain, we have Abel, and we have Seth. Um, And of course, Cain kills Abel, but God blesses Adam and Eve and they have Seth. So we're left with two offspring, aren't we? You see that? We're left with two offspring. This also connects back to Genesis 3.15. Look back to Genesis 3.15. Speaking to Satan, the Lord says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between what? Your offspring and her offspring. You see, there are two offspring here, aren't there? Um, The offspring of the woman, the offspring of Satan. Notice in Genesis 3.15 that they're at war with each other. There's enmity enmity between them. That means there's this hostility 
and, and hatred uh, between them. Now, Genesis 4 comes along. The woman bears a son. His name's Cain. And the woman bears another son. His name's Abel. And Cain rises up and kills Abel. What, what, do we, what do we have playing out here? What we have playing out here is what Genesis 3.15 has promised, isn't it? That you're going to have these two offspring and that um, there's going to be hostility between these offspring. Cain rises, kills Abel. God gives them Seth. What's going on here? Uh, God is continuing to make good on his promise. What's going on here is that from this point forward, Genesis 4 and onward, there are two humanities. Two humanities. There's Cain and his descendants. There's Seth and his descendants. And this is the theme that runs all the way, all the way through the Bible, all the way to the end of the Bible, to the book of Revelation. Uh, there's the offspring of the woman. They are those who call upon the name of the Lord. There's the offspring of Satan. They are those who reject the gospel and are at war with the line of Seth. Does that make sense? And we see it everywhere. I mean, it runs all the way through. We see it first in Genesis 4 between Cain and Abel. Then later we see it between Isaac and Ishmael. We see it between Jacob and Esau. We see it between Israel and the Amalekites, between Israel and the Egyptians. We see it between Israel and the Canaanites. We see it between faithful Israelites and unfaithful Israelites. We see it between Israel and Assyria, Judah and Babylon, between Haman and Mordecai in the book of Esther. We see it between Jesus, the elders, the chief priests and the scribes. And we see it between the church and the world, don't we? And there are many other examples. I just was rattling these off as I was thinking of them when I was writing my message. Uh, I didn't really go through the scriptures. These are just what rattled off the top of my mind. If we went through scripture, we could find probably hundreds of examples of these things. And it's exactly this that Jesus is talking about in John 15 and verse 18 and 19 when he says to his disciples, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. <laughs> He's talking about Genesis 3.15 here. This is a gospel utterance. If Verse 19, he says, If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Now, what we have set forth here is two humanities. And what is the principal distinction between these two humanities? That's back to Genesis 4.26. The line of Seth are the complete opposite from the line of Cain. The line of Seth are those who call upon the name of the Lord. I want to flesh out that phrase this morning. If we have time, we'll see how things go. But back to our inclusio, back to this set of bookends. If you're seeing this all for the first time, you're probably going, yeah, 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 yeah. You promised me this was going to help me. <laughs> it takes a little bit of practice. Um, whenever you're, especially if you're hands-on, whenever you learn how to, when someone's shown you how to do something, do you get it the first time? Sometimes, but oftentimes you have to do it a couple of times, right? Uh, be patient with it. and I'll show you here in a few minutes how helpful this is. Verse 1 contains the conception of Cain, right? Verse 2 contains the conception of Seth. Okay, I've also shown that both verses contain a profession of faith. In verse 1, if you look there with me again, Eve professes, I've gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And I developed that a few weeks ago when we were in verse 1. 
And in verse 25, Eve makes another profession. She says, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. Now, when we compare these two professions of faith, there's a striking difference between them. You know, at the birth of Cain, Eve says, I've gotten a man with the help of the Lord. But the Lord has been busy teaching Adam and Eve something. Something very significant. Um, we do not co-provide the deliverer. We do not co-provide the Savior. Think of, think of the profession of faith we have in verse 1 here. I've gotten a man with the help of the Lord. Do you see that in verse 1? In verse 25, God has appointed for me another offspring. It's a, it's, 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 a, it's a strikingly different profession of faith, isn't it? Now, um, I think we can read these passages and we can forget about all the pain that Adam and Eve endured through this whole Cain thing. Let's try to see if we can walk in their shoes just for a moment. Imagine you have two sons and one of them rises up and kills the other one. The trauma that that would create in your family. You're really losing two sons, aren't you? Because what happens to Cain? He's cursed and he's driven away. So there goes Cain. There goes Cain's family. There goes all those grandkids. And there is a there is a breach there. There is a significant, significant breach. There. Uh, I mean, we, we can relate with that because we can look at our own families and we can see these kinds of things in our own families. You know, these breaches. And, and we know a lot about the pain uh, that these breaches uh, can cause. And, of course, we could even think of, of, of even this, you know, because this really goes back to Genesis 3.16. If you look at Genesis 3.16... I spent a lot of time on that. That was the second message of our series, you know, where it says to the woman, uh, God said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing and in pain you shall bring forth children. And you remember, we spent almost an entire morning on the particular pain that mom feels when things aren't right with the kids. The particular pain that comes to mom uh, when... Uh, things aren't going properly uh, with the kids. And um, here, this is where Eve is, isn't it? It's through this. Uh, it's, it's through this uh, that uh, Eve is learning something that is very, very significant. But is there grace in this pain? Yes, there is grace in this pain because through this pain, the Lord has taught Eve a priceless lesson. One, namely, that her former profession of faith is insufficient. Her former profession of faith isn't going to get it done. The Savior is not going to come with the help of the woman. That's really important. The Savior will come, but He is going to be all of God. It's going to be all of God's doing. And this is growth and understanding uh, 
it shows that Eve is growing in her understanding because in verse 25, she says, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel. Now, there are so many lessons here for us, so many lessons here. I mean, when it comes to the Savior, God is teaching Eve that she will not provide the Savior with the help of the Lord. She will not do that with the help of the Lord. No, no, no. God will provide the Savior as a gift. You see the difference in that? I'm trying to read you right now to see if you get that or not. Let me see if I can flesh that out even some more. I mean, let's do it this way. I mean, there are two very different professions of faith. Let's say this. One is I'm getting saved with the help of the Lord. Where another is saying, um, I've been delivered completely by the hand of God. Are, are, is the first profession of faith a popular one? I don't know what percentage to put on that, but I, I would be afraid to put it at a 90 percentile based on my own experience of talking with people. I'm getting saved with the help of the Lord. No, you're not. No, you are not getting saved with the help of the Lord. If you are saved, you are saved by the Lord. By the Lord. Um, let me, let, I'm still seeing some facial expressions and maybe, I'm, maybe we're just tired. Uh, let, let, let me introduce, let me, let, me, let me wrestle with this some more. Let me introduce two words. I, 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 I thought we might struggle with this. I have two words here. Um, you've probably heard of the word monergism and synergism. I mean, some heads are going to go up and down. Some heads are going to be like, what? <laughs> monergism, synergism. Okay, let's think about monergism. There's two words here, mono, which means one, right? Uh, people have told me over and over again that I have a monural mind, meaning I can only entertain one thing at a time. Uh, and when I have one thing on my mind, that's all that's on my mind and nothing else. That's one. Mono means one. And this um, erg, uh, monergism, erg is the, is the word, Greek word for work. It's uh, embedded in the word energy, energy. Um, ergon, right down the road here, is a Greek word. It means work, uh, ergon. Um, so you have monergism. What that means is one working. There's one working. There's another companion word to that, which is synergism. I think you can already get that, what the sin means. Sin, S-Y-N, means two or more working. Synergism is two or more working. So monergism is one working. Synergism is two or more working. Let's take this, and let's take this back to Eve's first profession in verse 1. I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. That is synergism. That's, one, that's two or more working. Okay, go to verse 25. God has appointed for me another offspring. That's monergism. That's one working. This is crucial. It is so important for us to get this because in our, fallen, in our fallenness, we follow Eve on this. Salvation is a, is a do-it-yourself project. 
Oh, you, you, we'll, we'll quickly qualify it. You can't do it without the help of the Lord. But with the help of the Lord, you can get along and you, you can do this, this salvation thing here. No, you can't. No, you can't. Um, salvation appears to be a joint effort between ourselves and God. Even though we may be willing to give God most of the credit, but if we have this cooperative synergistic mindset, we're not getting the gospel. We are in verse one. We are not in verse 25. We're still in verse one. We may think we're finding salvation with the help of the Lord, but the scriptures make it clear that salvation is all of God's grace. I mean, the coming of the deliverer, Jesus Christ coming into this world is all of God. He comes through the birth canal of Mary, for sure. Uh, but she is, a, she is one who has surrendered to the Lord. She's one who surrendered to the Lord. Who is doing this? The Holy Spirit overshadows her. She conceives. She bears a son. That is all of God's doing. And this son is raised and this son goes by seeking that which is lost. And as he finds that which is lost and he dispatches his Holy Spirit into our hearts to open up our mind, open up our eyes, open up our ears. That is all of God's doing. It's all of his doing. I mean, when you look at your own salvation, do you see salvation as something you're doing with the help of the Lord? Or do you see salvation as all of God's grace? And let, let me let me let me qualify this again because there could be some confusion in this. I want you to know I'm not talking about sanctification here. Because sanctification is synergistic. What do I mean by sanctification? That's growing in grace. After we're already in a state of grace. That's growing in the Lord after you're already in the Lord. I'm not talking about sanctification. I'm talking about Getting saved, if you will. I'm talking about being born again. I'm talking about being in a state of grace. I'm talking about coming to saving faith in Christ. Jesus is what I'm talking about. Just think of the, the words that Jesus used. Unless a man be born again, he cannot even see the kingdom of God. Think about this born again business. I had nothing to do with being born the first time. I had nothing to do with it. Neither did you. And I had nothing to do with being born again the second time. And if you are born again, you didn't have nothing to do with that either. It's monergistic. Loved ones, this is really where it's at. This is really where the tears flow from the eyes. Because as long as we are thinking synergistically, that I am doing this with the help of the Lord, okay, I'm doing this thing with the Lord's helping me, we're going to attribute praise that is to the measure of the help we feel we're getting. But when we suddenly discover that, listen, I am just walking along, delighting in my evil, doing all of the things that I would be doing. I might be golfing right now. I might be watching kids race motorcycles right now. I might be sleeping right now. If it weren't for this monergistic work of God intruding in my life and opening up my eyes 
and opening up my ears so that I could see him. As soon as you get that for the first time, you're going to say to yourself, why me? And if you've never said to yourself, why me? It could very well be because you're still in verse one. I'm getting saved with the help of the Lord. Not verse 25. I have been appointed by God from before the foundations ever began. I was elected by his grace. That is a different profession of faith. And I really don't believe that we really come to a full-orbed state of grace until we are in that second state. I don't want to be strong with that because it would... Just think of the questions that that surface as soon as you suggest that. Someone might say, well, okay, what you're saying is uh, Eve is not saved in verse 1. She's saved in verse 25. Listen, folks, I don't really know. I don't know the answer to that. (laughs) It's, It's... Listen, it's above my pay grade, okay? For this one, you've got to get on your knees and you've got to go way up, um, uh, way up above what you're currently staring at here now. Um, and I would suggest you do that quite often with most stuff um, because what you're staring at right now is just a fellow sinner like yourself trying to understand this. Uh, that's what you're currently staring at right now. Look to Christ. He is not a fellow sinner. He's a savior. Who knows these things exhaustively? At what point do we come to saving faith in Christ? And what point we don't? I don't know the answer to that question. I don't believe anybody does. There's a lot of ink spilled on that one. We can be helped. There's many things that can help us. But at the end of the day, this is a mystery. At the end of the day, it's quite mysterious. But what I will say is, practically speaking, existentially speaking, experimentally speaking, however you want to put it, I don't think the love and devotion for our Lord and the commitment for our Lord, I don't think all of those things really, I don't think the rubber of these things really hit the road until you see that your salvation is all of grace. I just don't think it. I don't, I think I can say that. Do you think I can say that much? Until those scales fall from your eyes and you begin to see, you know something? Man, I'm sitting here this morning because God touched my heart. And if he hadn't done that, I might still be sitting here, but I would be sitting here in verse 1. I wouldn't be sitting here in verse 25. Going from verse 1 to verse 25 is a big step. Look at the pain that Adam and Eve endured between verse 1 and verse 25. It wasn't quick. Uh, you know, in verse 1, Cain is born. Verse 2, Abel is born. And in the middle of verse 2, they're grown men. You see, you can lose your sense of time there. So, um, I think there's a lesson in that for us that we want to be patient with one another. Because these things, they don't happen overnight. Um... 
I wanted to talk about calling upon the name of the Lord. We're going to table that if that's all right with you. I think we should table that. I don't want to just do it in five sentences. Um, we'll take it up next time. Let me conclude with this. You know, very early Friday morning, I was at my table in, in our garage writing a sermon. I, I write my sermons in our garage. You like that? I think that's really cool. That has nothing to do with the point I'm trying to make, but I think it's really cool. Um, I like the garage out there. Um, very early Friday morning, I was at my table in our garage, which is really not my table. It's Tammy's table. That's all. That also has nothing to do with our point, but this is the point. I was struck afresh at how amazing God's word is. Um, we can look at the Bible and think it's for people who are book smart. Um, but God has put all of these devices and scripture. If you're, you're hearing Inclusio for the first time, as most of us are, you might not get that. But I'm going to point it out as we come to it. And as you see it over and over, you're only going to see this two or three times and you're going to get it. You're going to get it. If you go back to this passage and you look at it some more on your own, you're going to get it this afternoon. I recommend you do that. But imagine if you were trying to teach a group of people that couldn't read, who couldn't go home and read the passage for themselves. Think about what a powerful memory device this is. I could say, verse 1, Adam and Eve, okay, they had a son. His name's Cain. They had another son. His name's Abel. Um, they, thought Cain was the, they thought Cain was the promised one, but Cain rose up, killed Abel, God cursed him, drove him away. Um, verse 25, Adam and Eve had Seth. Uh, now they're looking at Seth as the promised one. You see how easy that is to get your mind around? And how the two brackets point back to Genesis 3.15? Can you see that? If you couldn't go home this afternoon and read this for yourself, you could remember that. You might not be able to remember all the details that go in between, but you could remember that. You could, you could, you could do it. And I raise this, I raise this to you because this... This is God meeting us in our weakness like we would expect any father to do. Isn't that amazing? So we get a lesson from our structure here, from the very structure of the passage. We see what the Holy Spirit is doing. I mean, from here and onward, we see there are two humanities. One calls upon the name of the Lord. The other one rejects the gospel and is at war with those who do embrace the gospel. And we see there are very, two very different types of professions of faith. And that one strikes the heart, doesn't it? I mean, it might, it might cause us to think about our own profession of faith. If it does, that's good. But it also strikes our heart and reminds us afresh of what God has done. I mean, don't you feel yourself wanting to give Him praise and glory as you think about what He's done? <laughs> Well, we should stop there, okay? Heavenly Father, I pray, Father, that these things, as we introduce them and they're new, um, we can think, I almost got that. I think maybe I got that. I'm not sure I got that. Father, I pray for your help. We pray for your help. Help us to see these things, these markers that are in Scripture that 
Father, we could we could not only see these things as we read Genesis four, but we could also develop an eye for these things that we could see them as they occur in many other places in your word. Help us, Father. And Father, we thank and praise you that you have met us in our weakness. And we thank you and praise you, Father, that you um, you take us right to the very heart of this uh, of this passage. You are showing us uh, what you intend for us to learn. We see two very different professions of faith here. Oh, Father, uh, search us and know us and reveal to us, Father, uh, those things which are, are, are not up to uh, up to snuff, Father. And we pray, Lord, uh, that you would be pleased, Lord, to uh, uh, to meet us in our weaknesses. We know that you are in Jesus name we pray. Amen. Amen.